0: What's going on,
1: Podcast Nation? This is your co-host, Joshua Davidson, bringing you episode 38 of the podcast, joined this week by Mr. Cole Oliver Straight from Houston, Texas. Cole is the man, and he's gonna be dropping you some informative tidbits throughout this entire episode that's gonna be relatable to you, even if you are not an entrepreneur. Cole's goal is to save you cheddar through, you guessed it, his app called Cheddar. Spelled C-H-D-R. Cole has not only built this incredible app that teaches college students on how to save money and understanding their purchasing power and their purchasing trends, but as well is slowly branching it out for anyone and everyone. And let's be real, we need to understand our purchasing habits, our purchasing power, and our purchasing influences and why we do the things we do so that we can better control the money, the hard-earned money that we earn. And this especially goes for entrepreneurs listening to the show because every dollar you spend on your company should be treated as the last dollar you have. And speaking of last dollar you have, Cole goes into great detail about how he, a non-technical entrepreneur, has not only built this incredible web app, but is, inc- is building an iOS app. And Android app has raised $90,000 to date and is just embarking on a 1 million dollar series a you heard me right this man this young individual is really my age so I don't know if I can just call him a young individual just yet but nonetheless is an amazing 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 entrepreneur as seriously humbling slash inspiring story is gonna share with you all and of course just information on how you can be better with your finances so with that all said, episode 38 of the podcast with Mr. Cole Oliver. Here we go. da, da,
0: da. Podcast Podcast yeah, yeah, yeah. Podcast Podcast
1: What's going What's on? Podcastation. Podcastation. I swear to God, Eddie. I'm sorry, Eric. <laughs> uh,
0: Dan, <laughs> we're, we're off to a, to a great
1: to start, start. podcast station.
2: I think we're going to redo that part. Let's I don't over. know. <laughs> I,
1: I, right. I'm going to keep go. this as like before the episode begins, before we even do the intro.
0: Yeah, but Dan is supposed to intro this episode.
2: Oh, really? All right. Dan, take it away. I'm in the car, though. you can hear me shifting while I do it. Well, yeah, can hear anything. Shift, you sound great. Shift, shift, and talk. Shift your nope, and talk. Eddie's got well, to do it. Eddie's got to do it. What number we're 39?
0: 38? It's the thirty-eight. Thirty-eight. What's going on, Podcast Nation? Welcome to episode thirty-eight. My name's is Joshua Davidson, coming live from my favorite city, Philadelphia, and uh, we're talking to Cole Oliver today. Cole, welcome to the podcast. Hey.
3: Thank you guys so much for having me. It's it's great to be here.
1: By the way, um that was an imposter. That wasn't Joshua Davidson Podcast. (laughs) That was Mr. Eric Contento.
0: So the reason they keep calling me Eric today is because I've been in Latin America for a little while. And whenever I say Eddie in Latin America, everybody hears Eric. So every time I go to Starbucks, I get Eric. And I'm just assuming the name. It's my name now. Eric is my name now.
1: Well, and also for Podcast Nation, you can't see our user interface in front of us that we use for recording, but it doesn't it, it doesn't help Eddie that the fact that it literally says Eric instead of Eddie for his name. Yeah. So, you yeah, know, so, Eric, Eric's only enforcing this on himself.
0: Yeah. So interesting thing about the Starbucks note though is I someone was saying to me that the reason that the names are always wrong is intentional and it's to get people to come back in hopes that they'll get the name right. So they keep coming back to the store, ordering I, coffee.
2: I do not believe that at all. That is, no, it's, it's true. It's true. It's true. Heard so are you telling me like
1: Howard Schultz, the CEO of Starbucks, passed no, down no, the no, policy?
0: No, he didn't pass down the policy, but it's interesting to think about like someone somewhere was like, I'm going to keep doing this to someone until, you know, encouraging them to come back. It's the psychology behind it does kind of make sense.
1: I mean, I know a Starbucks Bartista who will purposely. Write the names incorrectly to people he hates. That comes into Starbucks. <laughs> it's like a little pity way of like take what, take that haters.
0: What if there's like some kind of like brotherhood or whatever you would call it in within the Starbucks community, like of Burgistas, where they like all decide one night like this is what we're gonna do, and ever well, since then there's been wrong names.
2: It must be working because I spend a ton of money at Starbucks. I'm think I get four to seven to eighty three cups a day. I'm, what? In, I'm in
0: Colombia, where they have the best coffee in the world, and I'm drinking Starbucks every day. That makes you the problem. Yeah, I am. But you know, the, the, the workspace that I use is right above the Starbucks.
1: Well, here's the thing is, like, I love Starbucks to death, but um, in my part of Philadelphia, um, there's no franchise coffee shops. So that they're all, like, local-based. So, like, One Shot, Euphoria Cafe, Higher Grounds. These are not franchises, so... It's very rare for me to have Starbucks unless I go out of my way for it.
2: Yeah, wow. Um, this, is, this is actually probably why it's awesome I've been calling the show because I spend so much money on Starbucks and I need help getting my finances under control as an entrepreneur. Yeah, <laughs> I'm liking the same way. So, Cole, let's ask you, how many people on
1: your, on your app are spending way too much money on Starbucks?
3: Uh, I mean, that's definitely a heated area of overspending. <laughs> I mean, it's something well, that becomes a, an addiction really quickly. So let's so what's, actually, what's yeah. What's, what is the app? Let's talk about Yeah, let's about go into that. that. Yeah, for sure. So Cheddar is a play on just the slang term for money that is popular with the younger demographic. And uh, the app itself, which was the first tool that we ever started building, is Something along the lines of a Mint esque application, but much more targeted to be automatic, take advantage of uh, advances in technology like machine learning and advanced pattern recognition, and then also making it as simple as possible, requiring as little effort as possible, so that we can actually keep users engaged who are in college, who are seniors in high school, who have just started their first career job, things of that nature where they're really on the brink of. If they start now, they can be in a much better financial position in 10 years than if they just started this journey when they were 30, 35, and so on. And so the app is connect all of your financial accounts using your online username and passwords. We have read access only, meaning that you can't move money and neither could anyone that could potentially ever hack the system. Um, And so we have security at uh, at a very high premium and then Uh, The other aspect is identifying some of those patterns that I mentioned. So if we notice that you're someone who if they take a certain route to work and there's a Starbucks that is charged every time they take that route, we might suggest that you take a different route to work even. And so getting into like integrations between maps and just really detailed activity of how you live your life on a daily basis and how can we minimize some of the risk spots that often lead to more charges, uh, ATM fees, or just lack of awareness on the user's part that they otherwise wouldn't have the foresight to do on their own. So let's
1: jump into this, which is how the Cheddar come to be? Like, was this a problem you faced personally? Like, how was this idea born?
3: Yeah, so a little background on myself, and just so you guys know where my head was at. uh, When I was growing up, I got to witness my dad Balances his checkbook basically every single night. He's OCD when it comes to managing his money. Uh, he keeps all his receipts in, you know, itemized order as well as by date, by category. And it's just insane the level of organization that he has. And he's always been on top of the finances. And that's just something that kind of stunk into me uh, as I was growing up. And so once I got to college, uh, I got an internship in Northwestern Mutual when I was 18. I was the youngest kid that they had ever brought in to be a financial advisor. So I was helping people twice my age manage a 401k, start planning for their college, saving for their kids. Um, I was giving them life insurance, setting them up in case of uh, tragedies happen. And so I just kind of always had that mentality of being aware of my finances and kind of being on top of them, not letting things get out of control. Um, And then fast forward a couple of years, I was treasurer for nearly three years in my fraternity. Um, And so I've just always kind of been that more financially prudent when it came to managing money. Um, And so once I got into a junior level entrepreneurship class, the professor kind of freaked everyone out just in the uh, required work that he was estimating that each student would be giving to that class. And he was telling us about how, you know, we'd spend anywhere from 250 to 500 hours on this project and business over the course of that semester. I had been doing entrepreneurial things on the side since I was in high school anyway. So I was like, all right, if I'm going to do this and I'm really giving my all, I want it to be a problem that I'm passionate about and I want it to be something that is viable outside of the classroom. And so I had been following the Mint story with Aaron Patzer. He's the CEO and founder of Mint. Uh, and it was just something that was really motivating to me. I had tried to use Mint, but it really wasn't really geared towards my age. It was basically just replacing the Excel spreadsheet that I would occasionally monitor and keep track of my own finances on. And so it just wasn't doing anything super exciting, but it was useful for what it was being used for. The problem was that anytime I showed it to one of my friends, they much would have rather slam their head into a brick wall than listen to me talk about Mint and how it helped me keep track of my finances for more than like two minutes. So I started noticing how bad all of my friends were managing their money, how they would spend every dime they had, pay overdraft fees pull money out of the wrong ATMs and rack up more fees. They had credit card bills on top of student debt. And when you start noticing the pattern of your friends have about $20 in their checking account, zero in savings, and thirty thousand dollars in debt, you start to worry about what the future economy would look like. And so being an economics student myself, it's just a problem that made a lot of sense. It was logical for me to go after this. Um, and that's when I kind of started assembling the team that could provide some of the more technical, uh, talents as well as the information that we would need to really bring this home.
1: So do you have a technical background, like outside of like your passion in all things finance, when you're Mm -hmm. going to build a technical product, what was running through your head on what you're going to do to make this happen? And what did you do to make it happen?
3: Yeah. So that was the like first overwhelming milestone that was in front of us. Um And myself, in terms of a technical background, I had always messed around and been able to like scrap together my own sites. I w- was familiar enough with Google developer mode to learn how to inspect source code to copy what I had seen other websites doing well and This is all like when I was sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, and you know trying to whip together an iPhone repair, buy and sell site, or a luxury watch flipping business that I tried when I was a freshman in college. And just these other little failures and that had required some level of technical work, but nothing like building an application. Um, And when I was in high school, I was also on the debate team. And a lot of those individuals were very, very technical people that were on the forefront of developing apps for iOS and early Android applications. And they were putting together just games for fun. And so I got exposed to that world, but I definitely wasn't fluent in any coding language. i had taken a couple in college just for the fun of it, just because I am passionate about technology and electronics and computers. and I wanted to learn more of the inner workings, but i had never become confident to where I could say, yeah, I'm going to try to build this prototype on my own. So I knew that I was going to be looking for a CTO right off the bat.
0: Okay. So that's how you were confidently able to navigate the technical obstacles of building a product like this you you just looked for someone that already knew and then you provided like the vision and the guidance
3: exactly right i had enough information and knowledge of my own to provide guidance to know what type of guy we were looking for and to avoid some of the common pitfalls that come to that first hire and partnership but i definitely didn't have enough to do it on my own
0: all right so talk about those common pitfalls what were you trying to avoid
3: Yeah, so I think a lot of the problems with that first hire, especially when it is a non technical founder looking to add the technical piece to the company, I think people will grasp at straws. They will realize how difficult it is to find technical talent that, one, is skilled and knows the exact language that you need them to know, but two, and this is probably more importantly, they also are willing to take the risk of working for a startup because. Most of these guys are getting tons of job offers thrown at them. Everyone needs developers right now. If you're not in Silicon Valley, it's kind of hard to even identify and find these guys or or women. There's tons of of talented, no matter what gender you're talking about um and so I think that was the big problem is how do we find someone that meets these boxes um that can avoid some of the problems like whether or not they know the right languages, whether or not they're willing to take a risk with your company? um and not just someone who says they're a developer who's taken a couple of youtube classes <laughs> and you know they want to try to give this a shot like
0: so how do you, did need you to find them? someone like, that how does has you, education like and like what did you because it one of the problems like it, it's like okay i know i need someone technical but i really don't know anything to to know if this person has taken a few youtube courses or has the background they say
3: yeah yeah um and so The first guy that we tried to hire, and so obviously I I did not get it right immediately the first time either. It is a trial and error process, but that's why you, another thing that you have to safeguard yourself with is you're not agreeing to give anyone anything until they can prove that they're actually capable of delivering on this product. Um, And so the first guy we brought around, really awesome dude, knew his stuff, um, but just didn't have the time didn't have the exact skill set that we needed and uh, it was something that we were grasping at straws because it had been six months and we were like are we ever going to find this person that we're looking for because it's such a, a niche target of what you're trying to find at that stage in a company and so what I started doing after that point because that one was just a chance encounter I was talking to my roommate who was a bartender after I finished a round of golf and I was just talking to him about what we were looking for and some of the challenges that we were facing. And a guy at the bar was like, Hey, my friend right here is a developer. You guys should talk. And I was like, wow, if this is a sign, I don't know what is. Um, and so that's the one that ended up not working out. And so after that, I was just kind of like, all right, we've got to tailor this search. We got to start trying some just unorthodox methods. Um, and so I started going to meetups in my area of coders. I started reaching out to the technological departments at my university to see if they were like homebred coders, if you will. I started reaching out to other mentors in the area that I knew were technical themselves or had hired technical individuals. Um, And then what actually ended up working out was a meetup, which was the graduation ceremony of a developer school bootcamp that they host in Dallas. They have them all over the country. Um, and it's a company called Dev Mountain. So they do these three months, really intensive, uh, full stack developer boot camps, is the best way to put it. And so I went there, and they had groups of individuals that were presenting kind of their final project of that boot camp. And one group had actually put together a very Mint esque financial application which was utilizing a financial aggregation API, which is exactly the type of uh, integrated API that we would be accessing. And they were pulling bank records and transactions and they were categorizing them and pushing notifications and they had built it for iOS and Android. And I was just like, all right, I want one of these guys. They just got done working with exactly the API that will be integrated into our platform. They've built a database that can handle and, Kind of sort through the mess of financial transactions and information that you get from those aggregation apis, and uh, then it was a long process of kind of passing their tests if they if I would be a, a right fit for a founder for one of them um, and which one of them they thought would be the best, and we ended up uh, coming to a great relationship with a guy named Patrick Ackerman, who you know had a master's in information systems, had built large scale databases for corporations before.
0: And had been doing
3: this as a lifelong hobby, um, and it was just really a great fit. It took us about 11 months to, you know, from the time when I had the idea for the company to when we actually made that first hire. But that, that time was absolutely worth it.
0: So it just goes to show, like, how important it is to be proactive and to network as a, as an entrepreneur, as a startup founder, as just a business owner in general and i'm like i'm a vocal proponent of serendipity and i think that it is huge hugely it has hugely impacted my life but like being proactive and getting out there and networking that's the reason that those opportunities even come up so that's that's just like a great anecdote
3: yeah i think that the classic antidote is just you create your own serendipity and i couldn't agree more with that
0: so talk about the actual technical side a little bit because i'm curious like the the API you mentioned and like the integrations you guys have, like how does that work? Is there one API that kind of like encompasses all these softwares and services or do you have to do outreach to each each one and say like, this is what we're doing. This is how we want it to work. Are you interested? Yeah.
3: So that would have been a big problem and that probably would have sank any a young financial company just because it's nearly impossible to get an individual agreement or partnership with a financial institution. So luckily for us, there's a company, and there's a few of them that do this, um, but there's a company called Lee who is now owned by investment. So they go by Yodaly investment now, and they have an existing pipeline of access points to all these major in, uh, financial institutions like Chase, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, Capital One, et cetera. So they've got all the big players and tons of the small ones. They've got access to over 10,000 financial institutions. And so what their API allows us to do is say, okay, I've got a Wells Fargo username and password to type that in, and that gives us access to their accounts, which are refreshing throughout the day. Um, and that—that that is the first critical point of data accumulation that we need in order to start doing some of the analysis, recognition, machine learning stuff that's going on on the back end. And then there's of course like APIs and integrations for things like the machine learning, the natural language processing,
0: et cetera. Interesting. And so you guys are just building on that as far as like the map stuff goes and suggestions and the the uh, Mint-esque insights. Exactly. That's awesome. So walk us through, you build this product,
1: you go up. How are you marketing this? And how's your user retention been on the early going?
3: Yeah, so we're still in a really, really small alpha testing period where we have about 250 active users that are accumulating and tracking. Um, The last point I had was over $800,000 have been tracked through the application and transactions and balances. Um, And so we think that's just a really cool start for us because that's, so much data that we can work with and really start to gather some insights of. Um, And one of the big things that we're trying to do is just slowly, slowly test features, see what they're responding to the most and what we really need to tweak in order to get better reads, better analysis, better recognition, and better insights for these guys and ladies. Um, So what we're really trying to do is with the notifications aspect of the application is we want to provide instant gratification for things that they're already doing. So like if someone is a college student and if we notice that they're paying $10 a month for their Spotify membership, we would serve them a notification that said, Hey, as a college student, you have access to a Spotify plan. That's only $5 a month. So you could be saving as much as $60 a year by switching to this other Spotify plan that wouldn't change your account whatsoever. And so those types of little instant gratification notifications are hopefully going to be the hook that we get for users to check back in. Um, And then eventually we can get them to take uh, monetizable notifications and referrals like, hey, we noticed that you didn't have a savings account. Right now, if you switch your direct deposit over to a new savings account with Chase, who they might already be banking with, or Wells Fargo, who they might be banking with, then we're able to say that they would give you a $200 bonus So the bank is winning by getting a new customer. The user is winning because we just got them a $200 bonus. Plus, they should have a savings account already. And we're winning because the bank then pays us for that new customer.
1: So you're kind of going the credit karma approach on how they monetize their product.
3: Exactly. That's day one referral. Long term is data for us.
1: So let's go into data for a minute here. I want to know is where are people spending way too much money that they don't even realize that you're noticing right away?
3: So with our demographic, we're talking often about college students and the number one spender for these folks are entertainment categories, bars and alcohol, restaurants and dining, fast food, Starbucks, all of that stuff. Starbucks
0: is mind blowing to me. I just can't understand. (laughs)
3: it. You know, yeah, it's definitely unexpected. And of course, if you're talking about which gender they're you know, girls that have terrible credit card problems. There are guys that have terrible credit card problems. Um, so it it's kind of interesting to just see how it all breaks down when you start looking at the more so re- like so re- granular views.
1: I want to get granular here for a minute. Like, give us the textbook definition where people are like, oh my God, I, I'm spending this much? How did I have no idea this is happening?
3: <laughs> well, most of the time they do have an idea it's happening because the worst the worst victims of this problem are the ones that are getting an overdraft fee about once a month or once every other month because they are the types of individuals that are thinking, hey, I've got $11 in my checking account. It's a Thursday night. My buddy is the bartender at the tab that we all go to every single week. I know my tab is only going to be $9 because that's where it is week in and week out. And they go out, they spend that $9, and they forget about the Uber that they're going to get on the way home when they're already intoxicated for another 5 bucks. And they forget about the jack-in-the-box munchie meal that they're going to grab once they're already intoxicated. And so then you got an overdraft fee, you wake up, your account's negative $20, and it's just a whole other mess that you have to deal with. Plus, most of the time, we're realizing by tracking transaction sentiment, we're the first financial company to be doing this. But when they wake up, they have a chance to swipe left or right on each transaction that comes to their account. And that tracks whether or not they are pleased that they made that transaction or they wish <laughs> that they hadn't. And so a lot of the time these guys are waking up and they're saying, I wish I had not gone to the bar. They're hungover. And hopefully we can use that sentiment to kind of teach them that, hey, even you are regretting going to the bar and spending your money on that. This is not your mom or your dad or some other authoritative figure telling you you shouldn't spend your money there, but rather this is what you yourself have been saying after you make those transactions.
0: So what are you guys doing with that data then? I mean, you're just showing them, like, you're unhappy about these these purchases. You're unhappy about these transactions. But then what, like, how are you actually making them change? Like, how are they uh, incentivized to actually stop the behavior?
3: That comes down to motivation on a personal level, which we all know behavior change is the hardest thing that you can actually get from a person. So, the ways that we can try and motivate that behavior change to start happening is through those positive notifications that are prompting them with savings opportunities, ways that they can have more money at the end of the day by not really changing much about what they're doing, but to also notice that, hey, if they make these simple changes, it could really benefit them further. And so. It's just coupling by, first of all, giving them that data so they actually know what's going on, because I think that's the largest problem, is they just don't really have an idea, and they certainly don't have a long-time view of this problem to see how bad it really is. So I think that's the first key to starting that motivation. And then the second and any other further keys are providing them with positive experiences where we're rewarding them. They have a score that's constantly being modified by little action. their financial cheddar score could increase or decrease depending on if they go to McDonald's for dinner or if they go to the grocery store and spend their money more efficiently by having
0: groceries that will lower their average meal cost.
3: And so we're able to guys, track things down to that level.
0: Do you plan to like gamify this further or, or partner with like other gamified like like Habitica or however you pronounce it or anything like that?
3: Yeah. So that's interesting the idea about partnering up with an existing gamification provider, service, whatever you want to call it. I think that's something that we'd be interested to learn more about. And maybe they could find a way to just implement their gamification strategy with our existing gamified score.
2: Um,
3: Because one of the larger problems that we're trying to address is the problem with the credit score. So if you are a student who is going through college and you have $30,000 in debt, you have credit card bills, you haven't been able to pay all of your bills on time going through college because you were working your way on part-time salaries, on hourly jobs while paying for your student loans on top of your living expenses, then it's something that those kids are kind of at a disadvantage from the beginning for getting a credit score regardless of the type of job that they land. So even six months, a year after they've already had a well-paying career job, that has a salary and benefits, they're still experiencing the problems that are associated with having a low or bad credit score. Um, And so by having this Cheddar score, which is a much faster um, and more liquid score, which responds to changes in behavior and also analyzes more than just your debt and credit history, by looking at all of their financial picture, we're able to provide um, a much different experience for how they track it's almost like a daily financial compass that lets them know if they're taking small steps in the right way or if they're still going down the wrong path
0: interesting very and interesting so i, like I think that suggestion.
3: might be a gamified way to kind of get them interested so
0: is your market like always going to be like young credit history like college kids no
3: so i think really that's just our entry point Because I think that the problem for financial awareness and financial management extends far beyond just young college students and young professionals. I think it really goes to any age, any demographic, um, you know, any background. It's just a problem that most people really never get a full grip on. But we want to start with the young just because they have the best opportunity to turn things around. And then we want to start extending complimentary services for people outside of that demographic.
0: I just want to mention uh, I don't uh, I don't have a savings account <laughs> I, okay. probably have a lot, I probably have a lot of the the financial issues going on that like a lot of your college students have but I just don't have the, the debt so it's not as big a deal for me like I just I don't yeah I, mean, I don't know I, I I used to use mint I used to use like uh what was it? there was one other one that I used to use too um but it just couldn't keep up with it. so like so yeah I think it might have been but like I just I didn't it wasn't engaging enough or Or maybe it was too engaging to the point where it was annoying to me and I just stopped using Mint? Do you guys... Well, yeah. Are you guys receiving any feedback like that?
3: So that kind of gets back to that automation that I was talking about at the beginning. We want to make sure that it doesn't require user hands-on work or modification. So one of the big problems that annoyed me with Mint is exactly what I think you're talking about, is how you'd have to go in and change Of the categorization, you'd have to go let them know what this was for, you'd have to go set budgets for all of your different categories. There was just a lot of hands on work that needed to be done, and then further than that, there were a lot of silly categorization mistakes that just kind of annoyed me. So, like the classic example with students in San Francisco that were studying for the bar exam, were getting anything associated with their bar exam prep or test fees, school fees, as bars and alcohol charges because they were just reading the word bar and associating that with alcohol rather than trying to learn the context of whether or not they're talking about the bar exam. Um, But so, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And even with the app that we have now, we're constantly trying to overcome that problem of even if there aren't those silly issues um, and even if there isn't like user hands-on work required, why do some people check it more than others? And I think that's just, Some people are wired to care more about this information than others. That's why we're working really hard on the notifications because we don't think it's 100% necessary if the individual is checking the app every day or checking the app every week. But so long as we can send them notifications that will allow them to positively impact their financial situation, we think that's a step in the direction for the worst off.
1: So what's your ultimate goal? Like, how much do you imagine, so starting with college students, you could realistically save an average average college student in a given year?
3: Okay, so that number is going to vary a ton, but I think that we could average in the 300 to $500 per year range quite easily, and I think that we could get north of those numbers um, just by expand, expanding the partnerships that we have Expanding the analysis that we're providing, finding better ways to integrate awesome services that we trust in the industry, like SOFI for student loans. If we could get more individuals into a SOFI loan coming out of high school before they get uh, taken advantage of, in some cases on worse student loans with higher interest rates and worse terms, then those savings could be in the tens of thousands over the life of that loan. Um, and so that could really start to positively impact the average that we're saving.
0: was well, that controversial Like I just saw recently Sal, wait, the company that was Sally Mae and their their loans. Navian
1: like, or Navian or however you pronounce it.
0: Is it they like oh they they were like I forget they like, people owe them or they owe money to. Is it was like class action lawsuit they think? Oh, I'm not find it. We need yeah. someone on that they re- on
2: podcast. They actually rebranded their entire company. At my uh my college is where I got my college did loans through Sally May, so I'm actually on that class action technically.
0: <laughs> nice. Make that money, Dan. Make that money. Yeah. yeah so people being overcharged.
2: Uh no, they were saying that the quality of the of the the schooling doesn't match up for the cost for the pro for for, for profit college. Um, but I don't know if you know how class actions work, but students don't win in class action. Only uh, the lawyers do. There's no money that'll come back to you in a class action almost ever, if not. And if it is, it's about four dollars. So don't make you know, that money, Dan.
0: Don't make <laughs> it. Put that towards your Starbucks. <laughs> hey, Josh, Josh and I got some concert tickets out of a class action lawsuit once.
1: We did. I went to. Well, I was going to see Kanye, but um, Kanye canceled <laughs> <laughs> every show in Philadelphia. No. I'm <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, a is-
3: sneakerhead. Side note
1: oh nice nice Uh is your uh, office one yeah, day gonna nice. have have all the sneakers wait, on the wait, wall
0: wait, wait, wait i want to talk to Carl about about sneakers about the easy specifically okay because yeah yeah i love it i don't like the the supply the, the orange supply edition that came out at all like i don't i love the pirate black but i don't love the orange stripe and i feel like the no matter guy. what kanye does yeah no matter what kanye does because and i fuck with kanye hard like I, I love kanye but i don't i don't like those shoes but i think no matter what he does that she was going to be successful?
3: Yeah, I mean, right now, especially because he's on Adidas, like they've just blown up. There's, a, uh, there's an app that I love called StockX, which is basically a stock market of shoes. Yeah. And they track the, just the value. And also what they track that's really interesting to me is they track the secondary markets for the entire brand. So over the last two years, adidas has actually surpassed nike in terms of the secondary resale market of sneakers jump, um jump, and the, well a oh, jump man is still no no i'm just I saying it, i was just referencing and, this song
0: this, the, well yeah yeah
3: i know but he even said he jumped over jump man yeah, so, yeah I mean, exactly. it's it's just interesting um and that stuff like really plays to my economic nerd inside of me so i love it but Do you yeah think i mean
0: the, the boost is like really the next a1 because i don't think it is
3: oh man it's comfy
0: no no i mean as far as like uh uh timelessness because i was just reading this like debate these guys were having on twitter about like air force ones are are never going anywhere they're going to be like they're like cemented in culture and they're like the shoe like they're they're like chucks essentially but like right they're on guard i don't think that the Boosts are going to be that especially because they're so limited like you can hardly get them
3: well I think that with the wider releases over the last six to twelve months and definitely going into twenty seventeen there's going to be much wider releases. So I think that part will shift. More will be able to get their hands on it and it will be Adidas's air, like Nike Air. So I think that it is going to be something remembered for a very long time. You have people paying 100 300 500 for a ball of the boost material to actually sell like very very <laughs> like that resale wise yeah crazy. the boost balls man like people love boost there are so many blogs and blogs and just the culture around it is all on boost dick right now like it's just hard for boost at all times Dude, so i mean it'd be hard to say that it won't be the a1 when we're thinking back to 2015
0: 2016 2017 and going forward that's crazy did you see the yeezy boost 350 flower bomb
3: the like custom
0: yeah yeah it's so sick like it's i i if i could they were like a super limited run Like, i think like 20 shoes or something like that but um they are crazy looking you have to go check that out
3: okay i think i i might be thinking of like an actual custom pair that someone did i don't so I need to see it. Yeah, day. yeah, it is a custom
0: pair. It's not like an actual official release or anything.
3: Okay, yeah, they painted on it,
0: right? Uh, I don't know if it was painted. I think it was stitched.
3: Oh, damn. Okay, yeah. I don't think I've seen it. Yeah. I want to. Yeah, take them out.
0: I don't want to take up any more time talking about shoes. I'm just glad that we had sure. on the show. <laughs> All right, we'll move on. Sorry about For that. Sure.
1: So, what are you doing to market this? What What is your ambition to get this in the hands of every college student in America?
2: Actually, yeah. Uh, so- wait, hold on one sec. Can I uh, can I actually interject with a pre question to Josh's question? Um, how did you you said you're an alpha right now? How did you even build an alpha out of getting? I think you said 250 people. Mm-hmm. How do we let's start at the alpha stage? How do we get 250 people into? Or how did you get 250 people into your alpha? And then on to Josh's question: the bigger picture of how to how to expand and scale what you're doing. Okay, yeah, absolutely. So whenever we first started
3: developing, and actually slightly before, because we were just like biting ethics uh, like at the knuckles like how can we do something while we're waiting to get a technical person in here and so we just started collecting emails like tons and tons of emails we made a little site very big but just tried to make it as millennial friendly as possible um and the first rule of actually like connecting with millennials is never use that word around them because for some reason they hate it but uh, so yeah, we were just collecting as many emails as we possibly could. Um, and I think at one point we had like 1500 from just very, very vague outreach. We were applying to incubators at the same time, trying to hope that maybe they would just take us on because we were really passionate. We were making stuff happen without a technical founder and we were at least evolving the idea and skipping some of the iteration that would have happened had we started developing, uh, at the very beginning, like right when we had the idea. And so in some way, not finding a CTO at first helped us because we were able to evolve the idea, iterate without uh, having to pay for those developer hours where he was going back and redoing things that we changed our mind about or learned weren't as good as the initial idea might have made them out to be. Um, and so when we started like, actually reaching out to some of those emails that we had collected, we just tried to get you know 250 people in a very limited batch that we're going to use the app, actually give us feedback, and would be all right with us communicating with them. So we just emailed everyone. We let them know the situation. We let them know that we had started working on this now and that soon we were going to be able to send out private invites to a very small number of people, and we sent
2: it to the respondents. I was, um, how that- big was the email, email list that you guys had built out? Or was it the entire 250 people? You just made it sound like it was a closed beta.
3: <laughs>
2: no, no. It was So it was
3: 1,500 people. And I think probably like,
2: you know, 300 to
3: 325 responded. And of those, 250 were really down to help us out.
2: And just, you know, before, even before we jump on, so how far into alpha are you? Is beta coming up?
3: Yeah, so right now we're working on the actual native version so we built it in a angular environment meaning that it was universal for ios and android at the same time so that we could access a larger pool of alpha users uh, regardless of what device they had we didn't really want that to be something that separated or excluded people for day one especially during the test because
0: you recommend that that path because we have a lot of people that come to us that are like we don't we're probably going to go ios because it's a bigger like pool to start with but the Angular method, is is that something you guys found was successful?
3: I think the first assumption that was made about iOS being bigger is not always true. It largely depends on what type of application you're developing. And if you think that iOS users are just a much, much better fit for the app that you're developing, then sure. I mean, but do a lot of research about that assumption before you think that you just know what people will like and what they won't like. So I think that the safe way is to build it universal and get feedback from both sides. I think it's also a fairly cheap and cost-effective way um, and very, very quick. You can get things built insanely fast in Angular. So that was those are all good things that we liked, And you don't really have to redo much except just the front end of the application, which you're already going to do because you're going to have iterations, design improvements, changes. People are going to tell you they hate something that you thought they were going to love etc. So it doesn't really hurt you at all to build the first version out in a universal language because all of the back-end database, machine learning, analysis, data storage, all of that will still function with the iOS native version that we're starting or have been building now. Have so you got it, feedback it already like this? Us.
1: Like any example feedback you've already received that you guys have incorporated or incorporating as we speak?
3: Yeah, of course. So We've gone through about five different design versions for the entire application. So not every one of those was built out, but we are now building version three in terms of design, based specifically on feedback that we've received. So just improvements to how things function, making something more obvious, adding a legend here, taking away a legend there, Um, adding different features and functionalities, um, more explanations, just the little things that you might have overlooked when you were first designing it, you know, all the way from something that you overlooked to something that you thought they were going to love, but they ended up hating and just didn't make any sense to them. So we had to throw it out and and redo it.
0: What was one of the biggest things that you thought people were going to be like, hell yeah, and then they were like, I don't know.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, so far, one of those things is just purely a feature dedicated towards spending associations. So this is something that I thought was super interesting personally. And so I was just like, everyone will love that. Um, and that's the first mistake. It's usually never what the founder thinks. But uh, So spending associations is a feature that we are now implementing in a different way based on the feedback that we learned. We're not totally getting rid of it, but it's definitely not the front runner feature that I thought it would be. So it essentially would just look at all of your transactions and within a set period of time and certain uh, geographical restrictions, depending on what type of transactions we're talking about, it would create spending associations or spending matches. So if you're going to the bar, what percentage of the time do you get that Uber? Or what percentage of the time do you get that Munchie Mill Jack in the Box within a four-hour time period? So that we know that, hey, if you go to the mall, you're 60% more likely to get a Starbucks coffee that day. Or if you go to the bar, you're 80% more likely to incur a cost from Uber within that same night. And so we can start putting together, uh, you know, cost expectancies based on certain days, times, locations, etc. And so how we present that data has to be much, uh, much more elegant. And I think, uh, I guess the word nowadays just, it has to be sexier for the, kids to actually care about it
2: what's sorry so is that is that the wait is that the original version of that feature or the newer version of yeah it?
0: exactly because it sounds like that you is the get...
3: original
2: that is the original version of the
3: feature but just in terms of showing them on a table like food times uh starbucks and then have like a percent in the middle of showing the analysis between and now we're developing the feature to work more intelligently and respond to, to specific user activity. Like if we notice it is a Thursday at 12 p.m. in the afternoon, the user that in question goes out on Thursday night 90% of the time, and we know that based on history of their transactions. And we also know that their bank account at the moment is uh, reading us five dollars, and we know that their average cost on those Thursdays when they do go out is. we can send them a notification at 2 p.m. that says, hey, John, if you were thinking about going out tonight, we just wanted to let you know that you are in risk of incurring an overdraft fee because your average expense is $12.50, but you've only got five bucks in your account. And at least then they're thinking about it. It's serving them relevant information at the right time rather than just hoping that they go to that section of the app, check it out, and make those logical connections
0: themselves. So in its previous state, you thought people were gonna really enjoy it as a table or as a section of the app and and they didn't. They so that kind of forced you to rethink it. So how hard I was that, that to swallow like, them at first as the founder, as the person who really wanted that feature, was that like tough for you to be like, damn, I really thought that was gonna be cool? Or you were just like, cool, I, we'll just do it in a different way.
3: I think that I was just ignoring what I already knew is that our demographic doesn't like to go and read and digest the boring information themselves it has to be served at the right time and in a very useful situation for them in order to get them to have a chance of caring about it. What are you doing to collect
1: that, this data? Are you, what like, what apps are you using? What tools? And where are you seeing this type of data and feedback?
3: Yeah, so we're using a wide variety of tools. You'd be surprised, like, just based on the direct communication that we'd have with some of our users. So it doesn't even really require, like, a, software for collecting data um, or collecting this feedback a lot of it is getting on a a work session with my marketing partner Colton and we'll just call and talk to some of the people that have been using it or we will actually go to the university where we've recruited users specifically from sit down with them walk them through the app have them tell us what they've been doing have them tell us what they like what they don't like um, and you know even talking to some of the family members that are, are taking advantage of the alpha for us and just trying to give us all the feedback that they can about how they would use it, how it fits into their everyday life and their app use routine, et cetera. Um, Beyond that, I mean, the data is, of course, being collected in like a SQL database Uh, and then just a wide variety of little tools here and there like MailChimp in order to keep track of all the emails and communicate with them. And we have Mixpanel for the website. We have uh, Intercom, yes, Intercom is the tool that's actually integrated into our website. So if anyone hits our website, a little bubble at the bottom right pops up. I'm sure you guys have seen this on websites nowadays, that just a very like warm and welcoming intro allows them to talk directly with us, ask us questions. Um, And so yeah, just really trying to find every possible avenue for communication with potential or actual alpha users and getting that feedback. We've actually even done a/B testing using a wide variety of those websites that all serve the same purpose of just allowing you to quickly A/B test either a promotional idea, a feature description, uh, this or that. Um, all that kind of stuff goes into the feedback that we're
0: collecting. You should have you thought about like serving specific messages to specific people. So like someone who needs a little extra push around like two o'clock, you like don't even think about it.
3: Yeah, I mean, and that type of tone is exactly the type of tone that gets through much better than just a dry notification that says, hey, you've only got $12 in your checking account, but you might need 15 for the day. I mean, so it's stuff like that. That's just being playful. That's being very specific and tailoring the notifications to the user in, in question and not just something that's very standard. Since
1: you guys are not making any revenue yet, are you guys bootstrapping and with your own money, raise money for investors? What's got you to this point so far? Like, for example, Intercom, even just to acquire a package, it's like 50 bucks a month. So that's server space, SSL. What are you guys doing to fund the things you currently need to fund?
3: Okay, so really quick while I'm thinking about it. Intercom, if you are an early stage company, you can get access to all three of their products, the full suite of Intercom for $30 a month if you are an early stage alpha slash beta slash just early stage startup in general. So they're awesome. Shout out to them. What?
0: I said, how much are they paying you for the plug?
3: I, I wish, but they're awesome. It's a great tool that I highly recommend for entrepreneurs to use because whenever you're building that first website that people are going to start seeing about your company, especially in this very vulnerable and early stage, it's important for you to be able to, reach out to even if it's just a small percent of those people that are willing to ask a little more before they just forget about you forever. So I do love that aspect of what Intercom, uh, Intercom Acquire brings to the, to the site. Um, and along that same line of thread, you can apply for things like Facebook Startup, which allows you to get access to tons of other products like Adobe Suites and MailChimp and just all these other business tools that you never even know that you would need. Um, But you get access to them for free or you get tons of credit or you just get advertising credit so you can test some of the marketing and advertising ideas that you guys have had. So that's step one of bootstrapping is just make sure that you're taking advantage of every possible startup initiative offered by the major companies that have tons of money to play with when it comes to giving young companies access to their tools, credits, etc. So that is a big way of how we bootstrap everything. The second is that you defer salaries on everyone possible. Everyone has a side hustle going on of their own. I have not taken a dime uh, for like over a year and a half now. I've raised um, $95,000 plus for this company from a variety of private and professional investors to this point. Right now, we're raising around uh, in the neighborhood of 750 to to $1 million to get us a 12-month runway. And this so far is the most challenging thing that we've done to this point. I feel like at every turn you're entering the next most challenging thing that you've done to this point so far. Um, But yeah, so we raised that money just by kind of the same philosophy and ideology of persistence that applied to finding the CTO and applied to finding our creative director and applied to finding our iOS developer and applied to finding our data technician and our, you know, economic researcher who's doing all the machine learning integration so it really is just getting back to the simple idea of being persistent exploring your networking opportunities and always being ready to pitch
1: so how did you get the domain name cheddar com? as you know four letter domain names are very difficult to get in this day and age
3: <laughs> yeah so we had cheddar financial for about a year and then i'd always seen that com was Taken and I was like, well, okay, I'll at least set the alert on GoDaddy. And one day I got an alert that said, Cheddar.com is now on auctions, and we got Cheddar.com for fifteen hundred dollars. How the so it was a big win.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's. I mean, if someone just holding and wanted to sell to you guys, and you made it big, you could made hundreds of thousands of dollars off of that easily.
3: Yeah. Mint actually gave around 8% equity for mint.com. Wow.
1: That's crazy. Here's like yeah. companies like Square before when they started SquareUp.com and stuff, how much they had to give up to just get those domain names
0: or Treehouse. They're <laughs> that important anymore. I don't think like it's that. I mean, that's awesome that you guys pulled that off $1,500, but I don't think it's that important to have a domain that's like four letters anymore.
3: Well, so in 2006 or 2007, when Aaron Patcher did it, I think it probably was the right move. And obviously history would tell you that it was. 10 million users later and buyout for 170 million. Not too shabby. But yeah. I think in today's world, when you've got so many alternate endings and, and just a million different ways to represent your brand in a creative way online, you probably shouldn't be spending, you know, ten, twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 on a domain or giving up equity anything yeah. like that, unless you really know it's necessary.
0: 8% is a lot.
1: So how are you going about raising money now, especially for 750 k up to a million? Like what are some <laughs> of the things techniques, tactics that you're doing right now?
3: Yeah. So obviously it's a lot of reach out myself. I'm using our entire board of directors, our entire advisory board, reaching out through all of their contacts. So it's kind of just that family tree effect of just going down the line talking to anyone and everyone that expresses the smallest amount of interest or possible interest. Um, Lots of pitching, lots of sending out cold emails to venture capitalists and angel investors, having our marketing lead, Kevin Newman, send out lots of emails, which I have just actually been uh, talked to by a venture capitalist about and how he said that that was super offensive. So heads up to other entrepreneurs. Always make sure that even if you're having other members on your team send out uh, initial contacts for you to venture capitalists or angel investors, make sure that you're signing off on those letters yourself. Make sure they're coming from your email address and make sure that the only reason you're using other people is to find the next person to contact, but still do your own back work, do your own research on them, know who you're talking to and make it a very personalized email. Otherwise, they're just going to throw it in the pile of junk with, you know, a thousand other emails that they got that day. But, yeah, I mean, it's just a lot of pitching going to every networking opportunity that you can find. Anytime that you can get featured as a speaker, go talk, pitch events around town, uh, everything like that. Participate in forums if you can, get on discussion boards, all all of that good stuff.
2: So,
1: let's put you on the spot here. Give us your quick 60-second elevator pitch that you would give to an investor.
3: Yeah, so our 60-second elevator pitch right now is that Cheddar Financial is a millennial college student-friendly application that is designed to completely automate their financial management and their financial life. Utilizing a gamified Cheddar score, we're able to provide a compass that lets them know if they're taking small steps in the right direction or continuing down a bad financial path in order to provide them with instant gratification notifications, which allow them to improve their financial situation, or providing them with the right insight at the right time in order to help them avoid things like overdraft, ATM, or other banking fees that they might incur. We're leveraging that data to further provide analyzation for the entire millennial market and connecting them to awesome financial institutions that provide them with a valuable customer while also providing us with monetizable referrals that uh, create a win win situation for either the user, us as Cheddar, or the financial institution that we're giving the new customer
2: to.
0: Not bad. Not, not bad. bad. Five seconds.
2: Can we put a can Still we put like blast. a cool like clap sound effect on there? I like that. <laughs> Thank
0: you. I want a real <laughs> Thank one. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> hey, my claps aren't to come by.
1: So, Cole, what's your biggest struggle right now that you're trying to overcome?
3: Uh, raising this raising this uh, seed round, man. It's definitely the hardest thing we've had to do yet. And being pre-revenue, being still a small startup, not having a ton of traction because we need the money to get us to that point is definitely the hardest point. So we're trying to bootstrap every way possible. Awesome team members that are willing to defer payment and be creative with compensation. Just all of that stuff is, is juggling a lot. and. It's just really a race against time to get that money raised.
1: What does your average daily routine look like?
3: Oh, this is probably the most unorthodox routine you guys will ever hear. Um, yeah. The routine is probably constantly changing. I am a night owl to the max, so I'd much rather wake up at noon and stay up till four than have like any type of a normal routine. So sometimes I'm on the call late with people from india china brazil and so i'm up super super late in the night having phone meetings and then i have to be up for an 8 a.m call with someone in the u.s because they're a morning person Um, and so my routine is really dictated by others right now just because i'm not turning away any opportunities and i'm trying to do as much as possible in order to get uh, our name out there as a company and, and keep
0: advancing the opportunities that we have access to That sounds super familiar, but that is not sustainable. And I'm sure you know that. Yeah, of course. No, (laughs) at some point there
3: will be a time when it, you know, crack things down,
0: but. Are you, have you found any way to automate, like, uh, your outreach or your, even your scheduling? Have you like looked into like virtual assistants or anything like that to help you? Or are you using someone, like, do you have someone helping you, like like an operations person or is it all on you right now?
3: Yeah, so, I mean, we have the benefit of of, we do have a fairly large team for a company at this stage. We have nine people that are on the team that have at least a small stake in equity in terms of actually like as an employee. Um, And so they're definitely the marketing guys help me a ton. Uh, Spencer, who is the economic analysis, who also does machine learning integration and pattern recognition, also does some of our operations tasks. Um, and definitely a little automation tools here and there, like having a uh, back when Sunrise calendars were still around or uh, you know, just having something like that that schedules, yeah, RIP, one out for Sunrise. Um, but yeah, so little things like that do help. I think that when you are using those automated tools, things do fall through the cracks a bit more than when you are just trying to make sure that you personally have gone over every little detail that you have. Um, but I mean, yeah. They at the end of the day, they they do help.
0: Have you started using Calendly? And I've been talking about this a lot, so Josh is probably tired of hearing it. But have you been using Calendly?
3: I'm not sure what Kevin has me on as of right now, but I will check after this and let you know.
0: Because that was like I, and I will check out Calendly was like comparable to Sunrise. Because Sunrise's meeting functionality was awesome, and I loved it. And you could just like drop a few times for someone to pick, but. Calendly, if you just like integrate with your Google Calendar, you just leave your availability and anyone can come through that you give the link to and they can schedule something.
1: Eddie, just move on, man. Sunrise has been dead for a while, buddy. It's not fair. <laughs> Fuck you, Microsoft. Fuck you.
3: <laughs> awesome, yeah, that cool. Was so random, too.
1: What questions have we not asked you yet that you believe we need to ask you while we have you on the show?
2: Hmm.
3: I'm trying to think uh what how about this? What are some of the user problems or questions that you guys get the most about startups and life as a founder?
1: So repeat that one more time for me. I want to make sure I process it a hundred percent.
3: Sure. So what are some of the either user feedback or questions that you guys get from listeners about problems as a startup company or life as a startup founder?
1: Let's hear hear from your your end. What's the answer to that?
0: (laughs) He just turned his own question around.
3: (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, I think that the biggest problems are, one, having a very, very scattered routine. Um, I think that you should try to keep that uh, as strict as possible. I think that routines are helpful, but, I mean, my natural routine does work until someone really needs a morning meeting with me, and then that kind of screws everything up, and I get less sleep than I'm accustomed to. But um, for the most part, I mean, yeah, it's just learning to take the no's, thousands and thousands of no's, and just move on unfazed, being super positive, being the guy that always knows it's going to work out, even when everyone else is thinking that you're insane. Um, a lot of the cliches that you hear a lot about are true. I mean, taking much advice from other entrepreneurs as you can find who have been through a failure, who have seen something to the end, who have made it or not made it, and just really learning. There's an awesome website called Collapsed. And then there are also other products on Product Hunt that you can find, which are dedicated specifically to startup cemeteries and their stories, which you can learn invaluable lessons from about why they failed, how they failed, Um, and, you know, what are some of the early causes that could have been identified and maybe help turn the tide. Um, And besides that, I mean, then it's just the simple stuff like balancing your personal life, balancing your significant other's time, balancing uh, the time of all the advisors and board of directors and investors and employees and everything that's going on. I mean, And if you're still a student, then balancing school. I did that for a year and a half. And that's absolutely insane when you're trying to work 60 hours a week on a startup, giving it everything you've got, but still trying to get through and graduate. And and so, you know, I just I know a lot about those problems. And I think the best way to put it is that persistence is key. Balance everything to the best of your ability and just try to make sure that the things that you prioritize most in your life aren't the ones suffering from the uh, incredible stretch That you're gonna have to do to make everything work. I'm so bad at the
2: balance one. (laughs) Glad to hear someone else. Someone else we've ever had someone
0: on the podcast, and I don't think I've ever been another entrepreneur that's like good at the balance thing, though.
2: No,
3: yeah, I don't don't think entrepreneurs are good at the balancing thing.
2: Well, isn't it kind of like I don't think double edged swords way to say it, but um, you kind of have to, right? Because you know you're gonna have to go crazy. But then being able to get the balance in there with the craziness that is being an entrepreneur, that's that's kind of like – that's entrepreneur's balance, I guess you could call it.
3: Yeah, or maybe it's even a longer-term balance of you know that life is going to be chaotic as hell for five years, and then you know that the life after that chaos is over would be just so much better and infinitely calmer, uh, depending on what type of person you are. If you're a serial entrepreneur, then you're just kind of screwed, and you're going to be in a state of chaos forever. <laughs> But, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, it's it might be something like that where it just balances out over time or or what, but I'm addicted to it, that's for sure.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So, Cole, what do you want your legacy to be once all said and done
3: and why? I don't really have a specific you know, like five lists of these are the things that I want to accomplish. I would just say that I want to leave the world a better place than I found it. I want to positively impact everything that I touch. I want to help build jobs for those around me and people I haven't meet or met yet. And I want to just really experience all that life has to offer. And I think those are kind of the things that drive me the most and what I would love for my legacy to be.
1: Awesome. I love that answer. So, how can people learn more about your company Cheddar and how can they reach out to you and keep in the loop of what's going on?
3: Absolutely. So, we try have we've have tried to keep it as simple as possible. Uh so it's just www.chdr.com, cheddar.com. You can reach out to me personally at c b as in boy o at cheddar.com. That's my personal email. So CBO at cheddar.com. And then also our other tool is live. It's called savingwithfriends.com. It's very self-explanatory. If you're using a service like Spotify, Netflix, um, Google music, Apple music. And if you are not sharing that with a group of friends, then you're missing out on savings as much as seven to $10 a month. Um, And even better, if you have multiple services, you can be accessing Netflix and Spotify, for example, for a total of $8 a month rather than paying two individual plans of $20 a month. So that's a service that we're helping automate the grouping of individuals so that they can reduce their monthly expenses on subscription services.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Cole, you're the man. I have a gut feeling that not only are you going to see an influx of people wanting to register for Cheddar after this, but um, a lot of our listeners probably flocking to their bank accounts to figure out how much money they're wasting and how to save it. So what better time than the beginning of the year to have your episode, man, to help change people's Hopefully. purchasing
2: habits.
1: Awesome. Cole, you're the man. And for Podcast Nation, you've been listening to episode 38 of the podcast. We'll be back next week. Hey, Podcast Nation, before you go, this is just a reminder that this episode was brought to you by your friends at chopdog.com. Dog is spelled D-A-W-G. If your company needs an incredible team to help build your app, maintain your app, help take you to the next level, be your outsourced CTO, reach out to us. We provide free quotes, free proposals, and there's no obligation. Seriously, if you just wanna pick our brain and see how we might be able to help you, reach on out. I will talk to you personally one-on-one, and I mean that. Just fill out hire.chopdog.com. Again, that's hire, H-I-R-E, echopdogcom And we'll set up a time to chat one-on-one. We would love to hear more about your startup, more about your company, more about your enterprise, and see how we might be able to help you. Thank you again, Podcast Nation, for listening to this episode of the podcast. We'll be back to you again, hopefully next week, if not the following week, with another episode of the podcast.
0: Thanks.